Welcome to Switchblade Sisters, where women get together to slice and dice our favorite action and genre films. I'm film critic April Wolf. Every week, I invite a new female filmmaker on, a writer, director, actor, producer, and we talk in depth about one of their fave genre films, maybe one that influenced their own work. But today, fuck that. Today, <laughs> today we're doing something a little different because this is the bonus episode, and so this is for our subscribers mm-hmm. and our, you know, maybe people who've never heard the show before but who are trying it out because they get this bonus episode. Right. Please let us introduce you to some wonderful Max Fun people who are going to be my guests today. Um, I have first Winter Mitchell, who is a co-host of uh, Pop Rocket and a digital mastermind. Yeah, I think I'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like on your business card, maybe? Yeah, digital mastermind. And then it like has like an orb that shoots out like Mm. a hologram. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's cool. Pretty 90s. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all about that Y2K, baby. Oh, and then we've we've also got Danielle Radford here, who is a co-host of Max Fun Podcast, Tights and Fights. Hi. Hi, I was so excited. I coughed during the intro because I like (laughs) laughed and my water went down the wrong pipe. It's still there, but we're all going to be fine. <laughs> and that's how the show is going to go. <laughs> and we are also joined by our lovely Drea Clark, producer extraordinaire and frequent frequent guest on Who Shot Ya? Hi, Drea. Hi, April. I'm super excited to not be the loudest one today, but I'm hoping to achieve the same level <laughs> as everyone else. It's so, such a thrill. Such You're going to get there. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the show, you know, let me give you a quick idea of how this is going to go because uh, usually this is about the time where I maybe could do some bios or something and then you know I do some like synopsis of the show or like ask them why they chose the movie that they chose because I chose the thing today (laughs) I chose it it's my choice I feel like when people hear what it is they will know you chose it this is a pretty clear thing yeah they get it uh, so I feel like what I need to tell you guys right now is that we are watching one of my favorite episodes of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what we're talking about this time. I, I, We sent a link to these lovely ladies and let them, you know, watch one of my faves. And so instead, you know, of like the regular format, how about I ask you guys, what is your experience with Murder, She Wrote? Mine is deep childhood to the point when we watch this. I've had the like in my head. I was like, oh, time travel device, that song. Yeah, my family watched this as a family with your one television in the living room every single week. And that said, I don't think I could tell you the details on a single episode. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, so that's my uh, background. Yeah. You, you guys are similar? I. Uh, so, yeah, my Oma has lived with us uh, most of my life, and she is an older a white lady, um, <laughs> an older white German lady. And oh, she, she loves this. I bet. Loved, <laughs> she loved her Jessica Fletcher. There's a lot of things my Oma loves. Men in drag. <laughs> the Young and the Restless. Yes, her stories. Scandal Sheets, which is what she calls the National it's Enquirer and all tabloids. Scandal Sheets. And a Jessica Fletcher. Good. So uh, uh, she's been... I, and to the point where when people were like, oh, and here are other Angela Lansbury things, I'm like, she ain't been in nothing else. <laughs> she, Jessica, she Jessica Fletcher, what's she, she talking about? She was like invented... For this, for this yes. role. Do bring her <laughs> yeah. some bed knobs and broomsticks. Bed knobs she doesn't need my favorite. Yeah. Also, yes. <laughs> no, the, the intro, the look, my favorite thing about growing up in the 80s is that the intro gave you enough time. The, the newscast update beforehand let you know go get your snacks or whatever you're going to do or wrap up your meal or whatever you're going to do. And then you were ready preparing for the intro. And I just, I never thought that much about the introduction of the show, the open of the show mm-hmm. before when I was a kid, but looking at her life, her life is awesome. Dream life. She is like into archery. She's into boating, yachting. She likes to knit and sew and write and, you know, solve murder. Like why isn't this show still on? Why isn't she still doing this now at 95? Right. A late in life author. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Doesn't have to freelance. Yeah. (laughs) A paid, never has to worry about, Getting paid by work, not need to yeah. share her home or her space yeah. Yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. her She's... outlets are never in danger of being shut down. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. Although I do love one of my favorite things that people overlook about Murder She Wrote is is that the the kind of running gag that a lot of the people that she runs into along the way and in the episodes, they're like, oh yeah, I've read your work. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a it's a really funny thing where like she's a popular author, but she's like she's also facing people who are like, well, <laughs> and she's always like, it's okay, you don't have to like it. You know? See, I'm from Seattle. We have plenty of Pacific Northwest people who also get that kind of like, oh yeah. I'm aware of what you do. <laughs> I mean, The Corpse Danced at Midnight is her most famous and first novel. So, right. Yes. right. How could that not be good? It's obviously going <laughs> to be really good. Um, and I have to, you know, maybe go through some of the things. You know, what did you, did you guys, when you were kids, did you have any different thoughts about Murder, She Wrote? That maybe are changed now? Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say I agree with you, Drea, because, like, I don't know a single episode <laughs> Of what happened. It also kind of, I think it came on the same night as Equalizer. Yeah. At least the same. Sometimes. So they also morphed into like a mega (laughs) murder mystery type scenario. It was a Transformer scenario. Yeah. So like, I don't, I just remember that she was comforting to watch because of the bed knobs and the broomsticks of it all. And, you know, my grandmother's just felt like it was, it, it was a must watch. You can give or take a canon episode. You can give or take Maybe you couldn't give or take a Matlock episode, but you, but you, you didn't miss Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. No. No. I feel like I remember this show in particular keying me into the, how I love story because it became a running thing. Like in the first 10 minutes of the murder being introduced, I would guess where it was going. Yeah. Right. And then my family, who are like all like right Britain, like math, science people, would all... all uh, frequently be surprised that I was right. Like, oh, oh my God, how'd she know? That's how uh, they were with you. Jeopardy. You just know yeah. these things. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, I, I really have, I don't, because a lot of them have a pretty simplistic storytelling structure. And was you learning like, tropes yeah. at like yeah. five or yeah. whatever. And so maybe let's get into something about, like, this is a very specific genre, right? right. We, we call it call it kind of like a cozy genre you know mm. so it's a cozy mystery so it's it's cozy so even though there's murder you'd feel like you're still in safe hands mm-hmm. you know jessica's like in danger but not you know it's mm. it's not going to go into like the super super grittiest territory she's not gonna get shanked yes she's she's not gonna <laughs> get it, shanked they're, yeah they're all very like polite and mannerly murders like yeah. she's never walking in and it's like oh my god and everyone's just throwing up because there's like blood and feces all over the place <laughs> they're bloodless <laughs> yeah they're these bloodless. are not those murders there's like like a drip of blood on like yeah. a on a yeah, lip that, somewhere. Somebody got stabbed in this episode and I didn't even know it. I know. It was just like, <laughs> what? I was like, did she have a stroke or the a person who out? got stabbed got stabbed exactly like the cook included. Exactly. Yes. It was exactly. like the same motion, stab, yes. bloodless. Yeah. So I, in, in this kind of um, genre, is there anything that you particularly enjoy or something that annoys you about this genre? You know, like the characters are introduced in the first part of just like who you know who's could possibly be the murderer you know there's going to be a murder then the here's murder the only thing then... that bugs me and this will be i think my only real criticism of um our lord and lady uh <laughs> stop acting like you have to be convinced to solve this murder boo you know what's your you know what's yes. you every time she comes in she's always like just hanging out and people are like well you're the only one that can do it we are on season two episode nine <laughs> you know it's your job to solve this murder solve this murder stop being humble lives are at stake that's true <laughs> i wonder if i went back and read it like this sort of feminine um oh i'm so i don't i'm not trained for this kind of thing if it would annoy me more <laughs> no, but the thing is it's funny you say that because she does that and she literally is a forensic pathologist for like five minutes after that. She's like, I'm not an expert. But she was clearly... But like, literally was like, but these fingerprints these are completely fingerprints are completely. Oh my God. And this medication was diluted. And yes. I was like, did you taste it? I don't... How you know? Did you check the viscosity of it? Like, how do you know? You're not an expert. It truly is one of my favorite things that we all kind of just hung with the fact that a mystery novelist who does all this research would know all of this stuff. And I was just like, oh, I could be like her if I write these novels. Right. I think yeah, because such... 
Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say, because then suddenly if we all started writing these novels, we would do the research that we don't do for any of our other projects. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I also wanted to say that, um, you know, you guys were talking about how she's reluctant. They actually end up playing with that later on in the series. There's one whole episode where she is just like at her house and she's like, I'm on deadline. Amos, please stop bothering me because Amos is like the detective. And um, she's like, I can't solve this murder for you. I'm on deadline. And <laughs> I feel that. And he's like, well, I mean, you have to. And then he keeps coming back to her house and she's like, but I'm still on deadline. <laughs> and, and look, she ain't getting paid. And deadlines are real. Deadlines are how she affords the vacations mm-hmm. where she goes and finds the body. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And her husband's pension is not going to be huge. It, it, not you know? at all. What was she going to do with her time if she wasn't discovering bodies? I think there was, they did such an artful job of setting up the tone of this world. Like you said, the cozy murderville. Yeah. That... <laughs> You're also never questioning this. Death followed this woman around to a very worrying degree. Like, <laughs> if you looked at how cl- the proximity of Jessica Fletcher and random murders is problematic. Within 15 minutes, somebody dies yes. when she enters like, the room. I would see her come into a restaurant and be like, Shut it down. down. Check, please. Check, please. I'm leaving right now, but I'm leaving very slowly. Yes. Yes. I'm not crossing any streets. I am bubble wrapping myself. I'm just going to sidle out of this place. I'm breaking up with my boyfriend. I'm locking myself in a vault. Yes. Yes. Like, it's, you know, and it is that that's, again, one of those things that obviously is one of the tropes of the series. When I was a baby, when I was a kid watching it, I thought that she was a writer that was also a detective. I thought that, she, or she worked with detectives before. Mm. I thought she was like the David Simon of like right. her small town. I didn't realize she was just a writer, and everyone in that She's town a, that the a retired rate. school teacher. At Cabot that Cove too, right? is just not a safe place Over to live. Over 250 episodes of this, by the way. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that they found and two four TV movies and yeah, that four followed. TV oh movies. God. They found a way for 250 hours at least. Yeah. Plus eight or so hours after that to figure out a way to make sure she solved a murder. Like I just, sometimes two, sometimes, sometimes three. two, sometimes three. Like I. Anyway, this is just it's just mind boggling to think about now because nobody would put that much effort or energy into it. You saw the last episode of Lost. So you, 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 you see every Ryan Murphy season. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, can we get some of these uh, Jessica Fletcher writers on yes, here? Like, can yes. we like, get them back on the case? I, I just think that like the her for me is still the pinnacle of. Um, all kind of female TV detectives, even though she's not a detective right. necessarily. But is there? Do you guys have any um, of your particular favorite of like women who've solved crimes? Miss Marple. Miss Marple. I'm a, I was a huge Agatha Christie fan around the same time, mm-hmm. and obviously, like Hercule Poirot had more books, I think. But Miss Marple also had as many TV movies and things yeah. made. And I think, Angela Lansbury did play Miss Marple of course, at some point. Of so. course. There's been like three famous Miss Marples. Yeah. And of course she was one of them. Um, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, I remember. Oh, yeah. You guys, Mrs. King was, yep. you know, holding it down for the Mrs. King. <laughs> Such a amazing world. title. Heart to Heart. Heart to Ooh, Heart. Yes. Veronica Mars is my bitch. Oh, oh yeah. for sure. She is You're that showing your bitch. current ones, yeah. <laughs> No, I'm showing my immaturity. <laughs> I may be the oldest one in this room. Can can we talk about the kind of general whiteness of those characters, though? Oh, because yeah. I Here? think the, the one character I can really think of who kind of mirrors this is, is um, it's it's actually the character of Precious uh, Ramatsue. It's my favorite show. Played by Jill Scott on the, the number, number one, one ladies, ladies detective, detective agency. agency. She's like... Mm-hmm. I, the, one character that I can think of who actually in some way mirrors literally the Fletcher. only the only pilots I have ever tried to write are ones where a black lady does this stuff. Yeah. Those are the only pilots I've ever tried to write. I would because, watch like, the shit out of that. Wouldn't you well, like to watch difference... a cozy? You yeah. know? Yes. I like knowing that I feel safe and I think that it'd be great to have like a Latina, a black woman, yep. you know, like anyone. A like, queer like, woman. A like... queer woman. Anyone, a uh, trans woman, whoever you fucking yeah, want. I, Just anyone me, not blonde. Any, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just give me anyone. I think that Asian. it's hard to make a, a a cozy in this climate. 
Yes. Nothing is cozy about this climate. So people will watch and be like, what the fuck? Like, this is not... Yeah, they would expect the you... trope to be um, twisted or they would be like, well, why is she in this weird way? Yeah. yeah. But let me, let me tell you about the genesis of Murder, She Wrote and why I think it's possible. Because when Murder, She Wrote premiered, um, it was an extremely turbulent time in the 1980s. There was actually one of the largest mass shootings still that happened like inside a McDonald's or something. It was very bleak. Um, we were still dealing that. with Cold War issues. Oh, it was, crack. It was it, yeah, the, the crack cocaine epidemic. Things were fucking bleak and dark. We had the projects going on. And, and the thing is that this show beat out all of the other shows that took on a more serious note about things like this was ultimate escapism mm-hmm. and it reached across multiple cultures. You know, like it's not just white people who are watching it. It was like people of every generation and yeah. people of every, you know, because you mm-hmm. only had a few shows on TV. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's what we're watching tonight. The, ju- the tricky part is so the number one. Um, Ladies Detective Agency takes place in Botswana. So yeah. also, mm. she's the majority figure. Yes. Right. And you couldn't, you would have to have creatives who were talented enough to make something cozy and world specific, but also address the very real yes. reality yep. of if you have a black female yep. detective, a Latina, whatever, yep. going into spaces, they're going to be questioned in a way that Jessica Fletcher as an older white woman that yep. looks like she has means, mm-hmm. like that she's accepted. Like no, no officer is ever going to look at her and assume she has anything bad because that's yeah. just literally how, that yeah. wor- that's even in this episode. Literally, there are moments where I thought that they were going to turn on Jessica because they kept saying it had to be someone from the outside. It had to be someone mm-hmm. from the outside mm-hmm. orchestrating this, and it's like. Well, the biggest person, like the big, was from the outside, yeah. and they never once yeah. questioned that it could be her. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no. Give me, give me an, uh, give me an Alfre Woodward. Like, give me, oh. like, give me, uh, give me an Angela Bassett. Like, give me someone like that going into these towns and being like, "You can trust me. I'm just a lady." So, like, how to get away with murder, honey? Sweetheart. Yeah, or, like a or, softer, or like a, a, yeah. a, a version of uh, a version, ooh, a problem, problematic, a version of Columbo, where it's like Mrs. Oh. Columbo has already been done. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm just a, I'm, you know, I'm just a lady from a different part of town. I don't know anything, but huh, I noticed that thing on your desk. That's, yeah. I mean, and that's that's one of the ways that Jessica Fletcher also exists in this space too, True. in a lot mm-hmm. of her episodes because she kind of plays stupid, mm-hmm. and yep. and it's a really interesting. thing thing to think about feminism through the lens of Jessica Fletcher because she's extremely capable but at the same time she kind of dumps down her talent just to, because she enjoys people being like oh you don't expect me to be the person she's like well you know whatever and and I think that what you're saying Daniel I think that can work very easily if you had a person of color or someone who mm-hmm. was taking this and and kind of played that part too and it also helps that she's older yeah. Um, and so that and and for that, that's her kind of thing where it's like, well, no one takes her seriously because they think that she's like a dotty or old lady who, oh, she just learned how to write books. Good for her. She writes these poppy novels yeah. or whatever. Um, so uh, maybe we just got to go with an older black lady because we do not crack. I like Alfrey. That's good. Um, so I'm going to, you know, introduce the episode that we're that we oh, watched good. today um, for those who haven't seen. Jessica behind bars. Today's episode will give you some spoilers, but that shouldn't stop you from listening before you watch. My motto is always that it's not what happens, but how it happens. I'm capable of saving this about about murder she wrote. Uh, (laughs) That makes a a show worth watching. Still, if you want to pause and watch Jessica behind bars, please, dear God, find this episode. It's season two, episode nine. Um, So let me introduce Jessica behind bars with a quick synopsis. Written by Carlton Eastlake and directed by John Llewellyn Moxie, Jessica Behind Bars stars Angela Lansbury as Jessica Fletcher, obviously. It's a rainy night and Jessica is filling in for a friend at women's prison, teaching a creative writing class. When she arrives, the prison doctor is having a fight with the warden and the deputy warden, but they're very vague about what's happening. The warden says she will take care of the doctor and sends the doctor to wait in her office for them to talk. Meanwhile, an inmate named Mary takes Jessica to her classroom. Mary Stam, a 
course, Margaret sent me some of your stories. You know you're a very talented young lady. Oh, thank you, ma'am. Mary sneaks away to the doctor's office, and she's caught there when the doctor returns. So Mary hides, but she hears the doctor fall, and then the riot alarms go off, and all the doors are sealed. They discover the doctor's body next to an empty syringe, and they catch Mary and assume she killed the doctor. The prisoners think Mary is innocent, and they riot and take the guards, the warden, and Jessica as hostages. At first, their demands are to improve prison conditions and immunity for Mary, but then a prisoner named Catherine, played by Adrian Barbeau, I know. starts demanding a helicopter and saying they'll shoot their way out. We got gold-plated hostages here, lady, and you're going to give us money? And a chopper to fly our way out of here. Shut up, Pat. That's not what we're doing this for. Jessica calms everyone down and asks the governor for time to figure out who murdered the doctor and asks the prisoners for time before they start shooting their way out. Jess sends out the vial for fingerprint tests, which only confuses the matter because there's an unidentifiable set of prints which pins it on someone from the outside. They find a grocery delivery lady hiding in a secret passage, but she and the cook, played by Yvonne DiCarlo, plead their innocence. Then the grocery delivery lady gets stabbed in the back when the lights go out. The warden thinks Mary did it, and the prisoners think the warden did it. Honestly, the warden is acting fucked up and delivering these weird, elaborate monologues about yep. how she thinks the murders happened, which doesn't paint her innocence At exactly. Irene must have twisted for the alarm, but she missed and hit the riot locks instead because Mary was hitting her and hitting her again and again. And when the doctor fell, stunned, Mary drove the syringe home. Jess figures out that the warden has been having fainting spells and has actually been trying to improve conditions in the prison, but was being met by resistance. Jess then figures out that the fingerprints on the vial didn't match anyone in the prison because somebody screwed with the doctor. Uh, the doctor's fingerprints on file. The fingerprints were actually a red herring clue, just trying to stave off a full-on prison revolt, then uh, says she can solve the murder and proves the doctor committed suicide, but somebody tried to stage it as a murder because they were in cahoots with the doctor defrauding the prison. Oh, my God. So much! Of course, Jessica knows who it is. And it's the deputy warden. Did anyone else, as soon as Mary got accused, was like, "Mary, you in trouble, girl"? <laughs> I was also, very excited. I would just, that cook's highlight and like contour. I was like, "Yes, bitch. Well, that's Yvonne DiCarlo. Yvonne DiCarlo. Yeah, I, it was amazing, and I was like, I didn't know that they were still going to do it when she was on there, and then I saw it, and I was like. I love everything. Everything is good. I, I, Okay, so one of the things that we're going to get into talking about is definitely the character actors. One of my favorite parts oh my about Murder, yes. She Wrote yes. is the casting director because oh they get all these wonderful actors. And what's the budget to be able to like... That's why you have a single location. This was, it wasn't a bottle episode because it wasn't just a singular room, but this was, I was like producer brain. I'm like, oh, this is smart. They're in a location. Mm. And even in that location, they had like 10 different rooms. You know, 10 different setups. They shot the hell out of that space. So smart. It's, uh, and I think that when you have, you know, this many characters to juggle, I, I'm amazed that they were able to do it so well in mm-hmm. that space. Um, we should talk about some of the some of the character actors that I'm pulling out here. Janet McLaughlin, mm-hmm. um, she was famous for roles in Tick, Tick, Tick and The 13th Floor and was a regular on TV shows going back to the Hitchcock Hour. Um, she did a, a lot of work for Cagney and Lacey as well, and she plays the doctor who dies. And she's got a lot of gravitas. She mm-hmm. did a lot of theater mm-hmm. work. And it's a really... Uh, interesting thing to see her going from a movie like Tick, 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 you know, to a show like Murder, She Wrote. But that's kind of where you would get a lot of the um, uh, people of color character actors that mm. would come into mm-hmm. TV is because, you know, they're they're getting work in theater, but not so much in film. So they, they become she, these regulars. Oh, how nice. Die. That's changed so much. It has not changed. Oh, not <laughs> no, I was going to say that her death was very theatrical. Yes. For TV, you don't see people really die like that anymore. 
Yeah, on well, television. Because, I mean, in theater, you're playing to the back of the room. Right. And the back of the room can be however big. And it so was it was graceful. definitely. It was just like, you know, she she tipped over the, the hot water, the coffee maker, and then yeah. pulled oh, the so, entire yeah. desk down with oh, her. No. Yeah. If I was an like actor, a it was. Yeah. 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 If I was dying in the first 10 minutes and was like, that's it. No more lines. <laughs> I'm taking this table with me. Also, I loved. So she had that natural that a lot of black ladies, aunties, in the early eight, or in the eighties were sporting. But the great thing about that is like that little bit of there's like that tiny little mullet. it's not a it's mullet, little bit of but it's because it's only like an inch that kind of pokes yeah. out. Yeah. Where it's like if you were a man, I would think that this was about to be a rat tail. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just like that little bit of of like I see you, you girl. Can, you got to be confident to rock that. I'm just saying. That only. is iconic hair though. Like yeah. that is a, yes. a style that you would see quite often, yeah. I would say. Um we should also bring up Margaret Avery. Do you guys know Margaret Avery? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. Avery. Uh who played Dixie, the other black woman who speaks. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Which by the way that the the that the main black character's name was Dixie mm-hmm. and the big girl's name was Bertha. I was like that's I'm those like, are two go for strikes it. against a little on the nose. Come on. Yeah. Also, I'm sorry. Who was doing her braids? <laughs> Tug. Who in that prison I'm is sure doing Tug her braids? Knew. I'm sure Tug knew how to do a little bit of corn rowing. Tug, Somebody in there did. Tug was pretty I, versatile in utility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for for those of you guys who who don't know, uh, listening, Margaret Avery. Um, this the year that she was in Murder She Wrote this episode, she was also starring in The Color Purple, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which was the the same year that she would get her Academy Award nomination for her supporting performance mm-hmm. in The Color Purple. So and, it's a really weird thing to see like a oh, yeah. very big thin role, film role mm-hmm. and then a very small television mm-hmm. role happening at the same time. Go, I mean, if nothing else, go on do the thing, watch her lip sync. It's great. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. We we should also say that um, she had met Steven Spielberg in 1972 when he directed her in um, one of his first movies, the TV horror movie Something Evil. Oh. Um, it's about a couple that uh, moves into a farmhouse haunted by demons. Nice. Um, and she is the house because that's how it works with black ladies. I was just gonna... <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But, you know, again and again, I, you know, like I I kept a very close look at all the characters in Murder, She Wrote, the character actors, because I've seen every episode probably about 10 times. Um, and it is a it's a very interesting thing to to see people pop up where you're like, you just don't see them anywhere else. You know, like it might be like an Indian actor. You're just like, oh, he's that Indian actor yeah. who was around mm. for that time. Um, Margaret Avery is now on Being Mary Jane. She's still acting. Um, that show's not on. Is it? Oh, I think it. No, I, I think it's on hiatus. I think they're doing like half a season. Yeah, they're like almost done oh. with it. Yeah, because she was like uh, Gabrielle Union had like a whole thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. Who? Uh. Who are your favorite character actors that showed up in this? Yvonne DiCarlo blew my mind. Yeah. Freaking Lily Munster. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? Tell- they and they. She doesn't come in till like the start of or the end of the third act. Like it's this crazy. That was in her union contract. I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's like, I'll shoot. I'll shoot for two days. Two days, and I'm and I'm the, the I'm gonna cap this bitch off. I'm yes. gonna set it all yeah, off. I'm, I'm also really gonna... fucking monster, yeah. bitch. Yeah. Look at these goddamn cheekbones. <laughs> I will do wherever role gets to have full hair makeup. <laughs> right, a beautiful, right? a beautiful smoky eye on this cook. Mary Warnov is just the best, and when she shows up in anything, just like. Stalking down a hallway is all I need of her. And we, Mary, Mary Warrenoff plays the kind of matron, the prison matron yeah. there, uh, the guard. And we should well, say what who she is. Um, I, iconic in movies like uh, Eating, Eating Raul, Raul and Rock and Roll High School. And Nightmare. I'm sorry, Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet. Oh yeah. Um, and she's uh, she's. Oh, wait, she's in Night of the Comet? Yeah, yeah, she's the... Oh, that's my... Oh, God, I knew that. And mm-hmm. then there's also um, her work with Andy Warhol, which was earlier in her career. And Paul Bartel, her frequent... Coll- you know, she's in... They're in a Chopping Mall together. They yes. have a quick cameo at the beginning of yeah, Chopping right. Mall. Yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned Adrian Barbro. Yes. Barbeau, like Barbeau, yeah. Barbeau. I, I mean, you'd know her cheekbones... Yeah, her boobs mouth, from anywhere. Her boobs from anywhere. But they were all covered in this. I was like, oh. I mean, if you've ever watched B. Arthur's first sitcom, Maud, uh, you know that Barbo played and then the character's Maud. daughter. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I love Maud. It is a weird thing. Like she's always she's always known for her breasts. She's always known that she was known for her breasts. And uh, you know, even when she was married to John Carpenter and was like in his movies, The Fog and you know, Escape from New York. Um, yeah, and it was then just I'll, like yeah, tits. I'll, yeah. Also, obviously, Eve Plum. 
Oh, God, that's right. Yep, Eve Lem. Eve, and it took the me a hair. second because she was Tug. And when they called on her, I was like, oh, that actress probably didn't get a lot of work because she looks so much like Eve Plum. <laughs> and you're oh, like, oh, why not just get Eve Plum? So Eve Plum, uh, so forever Eve Plum was Jan um, in the Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. But so she also, wasn't she one of the people who was like, I'm going to tell my own story on Broadway. And then like went and did their like one woman show. God, I hope so. Black I boxes. can see that. Even I mean, if you're only making this up, I'd like to retcon history and have that be right. Oh, and God. Just, I mean, the role itself, she plays like a prisoner who's a little bit more like tough, but like scrappy. Mm-hmm. She, you can tell she took this role because she was like, this is it. Every time she took like a secondary role in like a really big show, she was like, this is going to make me escape Jan Brady. This is it. And then, you know, she's doing that. It's showtime. You know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Was this before or after weird adult Brady's that we all hated? I think think this was before. before. Right? This is 85. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like 86 or 87. Yeah. This is 84, 85. Of two of the two of the older, both Susan Oliver and Vera Miles are in this. And I was like, oh, those are classic. Like Vera Miles played the warden and she was supposed to be the lead in Vertigo. Like she was one of Mm, Hitchcock's. Like mm -hmm. she was. And if you I mean, even if you looked at her in this, like she's got a Hitchcock blonde thing to her. Yeah. And then Susan Oliver is the weirdly beautiful older inmate with the amazing the bob. Oh, God, I was like, who's gorgeous. doing the upkeep on the... Whoever's braiding Dixie's hair is also maintaining those bangs. Yeah, whoever's doing the hair yeah. in that prison is murdering it. Yeah, literally, yeah, like, probably. other people. <laughs> probably, probably literally. No, I thought that was interesting that, you know, Verima, like I was telling you guys earlier, this, this, these secondary actresses that were in this particular episode really felt like the best of the best of second act- yes. secondary actresses throughout the, the past 20 years before preceding this episode. Yes. I mean, Vera Miles, uh, you know, her role in Psycho is considered one of, you know, she comes in yeah. at the end mm-hmm. and, you know, Jessica Biel tried to play her in Hitchcock. But Julianne Moore was really good at it in the remake. Uh, so I will say that she, she, she got up Staged by that, but yeah, she Julianne was... Moore is as good in that as she is as bad at dressing for red carpets. Oh, oh Danielle! Danielle. Danielle. Wow. I love and that's her. not a hot day. I love her. She takes <laughs> risks. One time she wore two dresses at once. It's fine. And you know what? She's the only one I know who knows how to maintain porcelain skin in a real way. True story. Uh, no, I just think all these these women together in this room. I can only imagine the climate mm-hmm. on set because all of these women, in their own way, minus Eve. Plum, thought that they well, maybe uh, Eve Plum thought they were like the best of the best of the era of 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 you yeah. know I their mean, era yeah of their era. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where it's it's a really good thing that uh, Murder She Wrote, like many shows of that time, employs the credits in alphabetical order. <laughs> oh, yeah. nice! Because it takes out any kind of uh, one-upping of who's oh, first. God. It's one of those things where, like, when Eli Wallach shows up in an episode, he's last. Because he's Eli Wallach, W. Mm, yeah. But even even though, you know, like, it's just, it keeps things on an even level. It you would know? all be, and Andrea Clark with April Wolf mm-hmm. and introducing, like, yeah. the whole, it would just be a whole row of those. Uh, can I ask you guys, so did you guys many. think that they have night classes at prisons? I just wasn't... <laughs> oh, for sure. They for do, sure. Uh, I have relatives in prison, so yes. They do have <laughs> night classes? Yeah. Sometimes, if you want to, um, especially if you're trying to get a degree, or sometimes, depending on the availability of people, like, for... this. Hi, I'm Danielle. Welcome to Prison Talk with no, Danielle right like Um, But sometimes, so, especially... You know, when they train a lot of like police dogs or um, uh, dogs that help people who need a service dog, yeah. a lot of times those will be prisoners who train them. And because those trainers are busy during the day, sometimes that will, that training will happen at night. Oh, that actually makes sense if volu- any volunteer thing like that, if you're doing it on top of a job, that yeah. an evening thing would be. This is the great a great time to talk about the prison industrial complex. Which they do in this episode and it's the 80s. And I I wanted to talk about the the reason why some of this is actually the prison industrial complex and why that's woven in is Mm -hmm. because the writer Carlton Eastlake um, who wrote this episode only wrote this one episode for Murder, She Wrote. He was like this is the one that I need to write. Um, But he he also went on to have a great career writing for The Equalizer. Yeah! uh, Yeah. Sequest 2032, Star Trek Voyager, The Outer 
outer limits and Farscape, but he became Only known. Only watched Equalizer. Oh, <laughs> became, give me that Farscape right in my veins. I know. I, I was just like, I think Danielle's going to like that. Um <laughs> Uh, he became known as the guy who could write about crime and law and science because he actually had a Harvard degree in law and worked for the FTC and also worked at NASA before he became a writer. What? So what's most fascinating about Overachieve his... much? I know. Most, fa- most fascinating about his writing for this episode is that this story clearly has some basis in reality, but he strays enough to mm-hmm. make it... Um, you know, interesting and right. like light and and that kind Cozy. of thing. But there there are definitely certain things about you know familiarity with the justice system, justice system, and like what the prison is like, and you know the idea that there's going to be harsh conditions and that like the, there's might be a revolt and and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I kind of and, and I obviously I love the fact that they did the thing where it's like, well, a bunch of women were like, or a bunch of the, like the the people who work there were trash and corrupt or whatever. But I like how much they hammered in in the beginning where it's like the prisoners are not looking to escape. They just want it to not be trash. Yeah. They just yeah. want food that they can eat. Yeah, it does. It does. Like it, it harkens back to obviously um, episodes of Orange of the, is the New Black. Spoilers, um, but it's fine. But, but you know that the whole riot season was all about like, hey, please, just like we're not trying to get out. We're not trying to get a helicopter. We're not trying to murder people. We just want food that works, my dudes. Yeah, and and they also although want- granted, you're not going to get lamb. Oh, no. <laughs> like the, when, she, when when she was like Jessica was like oh the lamb okay <laughs> she, she, okay you should explain that okay so so there is a moment where the prisoners go into the kitchen before we know that Cookie and her amazing cheekbones had been siphoning off this money they go to taste and I'm not I I, I can't pronounce it I'm not gonna try but there's a dish that they're that and Jessica goes to taste it because everyone there is like oh this is the trash we usually get fed. Jessica tastes it and goes, If this is never en printanier, I'm afraid both the lamb and the vegetables died of old age. I suggest you give it a decent burial. And it's like, they were never getting lamb. Why would they fucking get lamb? I can't afford lamb. I'm not in prison. Funniest thing is that they used to serve lobsters in prison because um, they thought that lobsters were... uh, Kind of like scum of the earth meat. Well, that which is, oh I mean, the also cockroach the, of the sea. The cockroach of the, of the sea. sea. Well, yeah, that's a lot like portobello mushrooms, which was like a mushroom that was great before it got rebranded. Yeah, um, but your your whole point about like the food, that kind of thing. It's one of the things I also want to touch on is the fact that like there is this white woman who's like going through this world in this like I want to talk to your manager face. Yes. You yeah, know? <laughs> like that she she shows up like that. Your coca bean is not up. Yes, to exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's it's one of the joys of the show because you're like, oh, I know this is going to happen. And <laughs> and it's also one of those things that, you know, it can kind of grate on you when you think about it in cultural context. For sure, because the implication is that the inmates have been justifiably complaining about this for a while mm-hmm. um, and that it's very clear to people and that they're being taken advantage of and by a corrupt administration and suffering the repercussions that can only be settled when a strange white woman comes in and like helps like problem solve things yeah um which is not great you guys not great i mean i mean it's always listen you know my mom did this she taught at a prison in san francisco and she had her joe clark you know, uh, 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 Michelle Pfeiffer moment where she thought she was going to like reform this. And I was like, yeah. this is a system. You can't this just turn system. your chair around, mom. No. Like you have to actually the do the system. The system, the system works for people that are beyond you. So like, I think just, I never saw, you know, they would only cover like stuff like this on TV movies, mm-hmm. you know, like black mama, white mama type shit. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was interesting to see them go to television and talk about real shit. Yes, it was a white, an older white woman from Cabot Cove who is going to return home to the comfort of her doilies. Right. Mm -hmm. But I will say, as someone related to many older white women from Cabot Cove, basically, (laughs) part of me was also like, 
fair enough. We should be fucking the ones talking to the managers. Like, of course. if that's who you're going to listen to, yeah. I'll get in there with my talk to the manager face. Like she, like, yeah. like, she does take the responsibility. She to does. Try it, yeah. To... She, I, I don't mean to say that. I think that they gracefully handle that in this story. It's more of our like 30 years later mm. talking about this larger conversation. But back then, it's definitely like an example of like, oh, here's an ally using their power. Right. After they had and to be being... asked, even though we already knew that they're an expert in horror, like an, an expert mm-hmm. in solving cases but i get it the other thread in this story that was well actually there was a few but one of the other ones that stood out to me again because it's that thing when you see something that's this old and you're like god really we're still going through the same is that mary who's the accused inmate and the suspect um that when it's revealed so she's she admits that she's there oh do you have we should reenact the scene because the scene is like jessica jessica fletcher is just like oh you're quite a good writer and that's right because jessica's read sample works of yeah she's like oh you're quite a good writer and and she's like well you know i yeah i can't be a writer and then jessica's like oh well it's never too late and and she's like what are you what are you you can do it once you get out of here what don't you have parole hearing coming up you could be Mary. She's like, no, I don't. What did What did you do? I killed my husband. And Jessica's like, okay, all right, fair. You ain't going anywhere. You are Mary. not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah, she, but the when, look on her face is like, sorry about that vote of confidence. I have, I actually have the screenshot. I was like, I was watching. I was just like, screenshot. So again, I love you, Jessica. Do you not know which prison you're in? Because there's a different prison between the I stole things prison and I straight up murdered people prison. Imagine me making a hacking thing with my hand. Should have been your first. I'm crying. Should have been your first indication. This ain't that kind of I stole some. Prison. Yes. Yeah, no, this isn't the ice shoplifted diapers for my baby, baby prison. prison. This no. is murder but prison. Related to that kind of sympathetic crime, when Mary explains the circumstance of her murder that she's admitted to, that she killed her husband, and that, of course, he had been beating her for years, and that she'd reported it, and they couldn't do anything. And then someone called her and was like, he's on his way home, and he's really drunk and angry, and so she hid. She called the police first. She hid with the gun. Did everything right. Did everything right, Mm -hmm. and then the husband got there before the police did. She shot him, and it didn't count as self-defense because... It was premeditated because she already had the gun. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to it and I was like, oh, you just in like five sentences explained an injustice, which goes on to this second right now, that are you kidding me? This is still going on. And a high number of women who are in prison for murder are in prison because they killed an abusive partner. And we hadn't even hit the peak because I just watched the Lorena Bobbitt documentaries. Oh, and I can't we wait. We haven't even re- we hadn't based on sort of like the timeline. We hadn't even reached like the pinnacle of when this became with all the legislation that happened with Clinton. Like we hadn't even reached the point where people were like actively talking about this in a very public way and really starting to sort of say this is actually an epidemic. We actually have to do something about that. Yeah, this was still a period where but it's this like is it was burning bed, though. Yeah, but it was still like mm, illegal to rape right. your wife in like many states. Yes. Yeah, marital rape was totally cool for people. So I mean, the the idea per that this law, Carlton Eastlake was able to sneak this in mm. and have it be kind of a poignant part of the That's story. That's fucking SJW. Yeah. <laughs> He is, right? Totally. I mean, like, oh, of course he went to, wrote for Farscape. Of course he's a fucking SJW. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the direction of this episode because one of the reasons why I love it so much, aside from the writing, is that it's directed by my favorite um, Murder, She Wrote director, John Llewellyn Moxie. Um, and let me tell you about him. Uh, he cut his teeth on horror and TV movies of the week, mm-hmm. and you can see his creative use of light and shadow and camera movement mm-hmm. throughout. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen other episodes of Murder, She Wrote lately, but his stand out. I can tell within the first five minutes if if I'm not looking at the credits if it's a John Llewellyn Moxie, um, because he he's creative, he's interesting, and he he knows horror films and he knows the techniques, he knows camera movement. Um, if you even think about some of the opening shots of this, it's really great because we start with the camera kind of. Mm. I think it's 
uh, low and he's kind of following mm-hmm. he's like kind mm-hmm. of moves and yes. follows a truck oh, yeah. like a beautiful shot yeah, yeah some really beautiful things that kind of set a tone and a mood and and I, I absolutely love it and he's also very great at showing us things that are really important I mean yes. a lot of them the keys. do it the keys yes and a lot of them do it but I feel like they lampshade it where it's like look at this thing yeah. where it's like he makes it look like something really casual this is just an establishing shot yeah. that later you find out like oh I should have been paying attention to that fucking establishing shot yeah mm-hmm. and he and he does it I think with camera movement like yes. he's not yeah. always locked off like he'll kind of see you'll see like a fluid movement to to an object or something but it's not like a ooh quick uh push in on it you know it's, mm-hmm. it's not well, like that the framing makes it so cinematic like how it's lit the sense of the suspense that's going on in your sense of fear but it's not too much fear mm-hmm. but also how you handle an ensemble like this is huge. Like, obviously, we mm. have Jessica Fletcher as our guide, but this had, like, I'm going to say 10 characters with many speaking lines. You know what I mean? Speaking lines. Um, <laughs> speaking, 10 speaking roles. But there were a lot of different threads going. You got a full sense of each of those characters. You could figure out where the allegiances were at any given moment. And like I said, that it's yeah. all in the one space in, like, yep. sort of 10 different rooms. Who was in each room? Like all of those, it seemed very natural. And you also always knew where you were in that building, yes. which is huge. And you're exactly right, because as the allegiances shifted, he was very yep. good at being able to follow that. But again, not hanging a lampshade on it, not yeah. being like, here's what you need to look at, you know, uh, uh, Fletcherinos, like just <laughs> saying, just naturally following the action. I find that his episodes, because I watched a bunch of them before we did this, um, I find that his episodes are some of the hardest to be able to say like I know who did it because he's not trying to be like here's the clue here's the clue but he's there's some really interesting things transition wise from from his like he's also one of the few directors of Murder She Wrote to do handheld camera work yes and Mm -hmm. um, that's just not something that you would even see on TV at all at the time Mm -hmm. Um, there's a few scenes where you have Jessica Fletcher and the prisoners and the guards and they're all kind of walking through these hallways and they're trying to figure out what's happening and and the, the, the guards are getting taken hostage and you're not quite sure what's happening but he's following them walking through these dark halls and so that you have like a little bit of a shake on the cam and it feels like something is really urgent in a manner that that you just don't feel in other episodes or in just other tv mm-hmm. um i i wanted to give just a quick background on moxie in case people were interested he was born in argentina and grew up there before moving to england and serving in world war ii and then he directed the city of the dead and two cult horror hits starring christopher lee horror hotel and psycho circus his most famous tv horror film was the night stalker which i don't know if i would suggest necessarily yep. um because the writing is pretty atrocious but moxie again um, i love it i think it's great right? but only if you like bad movies it, it just he elevates the material with his direction from like right out of the gate i it's one of my favorite opening shots of a film ever i would say even um and his fave tv movies of his star barbara stanwick and are produced by aaron spelling uh that's house the house that would not die and a taste of evil but for my money people need to check out his film home for the holidays from 1972 in which sally field jessica walter jill hayworth and eleanor parker play sisters who band together to stop their evil stepmother played by julie harris from murdering their whole family uh, but he did end his career directing for murder she wrote and that was you know i think it's a really great way to go out it's just like you're you're doing tv and you're elevating it and much like murder she wrote very cozy (laughs) so cozy so cozy but uh, i mean there's a a transition i wanted to say that uh that i really loved um i can't remember what comes before it but i think they're in the hallway and then all of a sudden you get a really close-up, like a big close-up of Jessica's back and head as she's walking away from the camera. She's pacing. So it's a really weird... There's just weird things that are happening with this. And and light and shadow, uh, you never know where you, like, where you're going to get the light and shadow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always... Mm-hmm fascinating to mm-hmm. me. Yeah, I yeah. love this episode. It is really, there's a lot of things you can't put your finger on in terms of how it's convey, how exactly he's conveying it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously we know that it's nighttime, she's arrived when it's night, but they're in a place with no windows and there's still just a pervasive sense of end of the day fatigue. Like, there's things that are coming across mm-hmm. as subtext just through visuals 
that if you didn't know that you were picking up on them, you wouldn't necessarily note mm-hmm. that they weren't there. Yeah. And it also feels like, even though I don't think it could possibly be, but it also feels like it's happening in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like it feels like it, the moment she gets there, it just kicks up and there's stuff happening in all different parts. She's teaching, they're squabbling, there's like lots going on. But once the pace gets going, then it just kind of kicks into like this hyperfrenetic speed. That's, and it's mm-hmm. urgent. Urgent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, you're, you're not always kind of aware of necessarily what's happening. Right. You know, like yeah. when, when the, when the alarm goes off and then all the doors lock, you're like, wait, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And you, mm-hmm. you, they kind of prolong letting you understand what that is yeah. for, for a while, I would say. Yeah. And, and one of the, you know, and again, like I joke about the makeup and the, and the, the, the choices. And I know a lot of that is obviously like the styling team, the people who do the hair and makeup, the people who do, you know, the, the dramaturgy people, the, mm-hmm. the folks who do the costuming. Also the costuming in this is amazing. I was just the color- Color Story is so perfect. It's so great. Color Story is a huge thing that I'm super into. Um, I started, if anyone's really interested in people who break down Color Story in a way that you can kind of follow, uh, go to Tom and Lorenzo. Yeah. Um, they, they kill it. But, and that's another thing when we talk about like, oh, the highlight on the cheeks, like all of these things. Obviously, yes, it's because the actress and that's her signature, but like they chose her because they knew that showing that sets her apart and is like, you too fancy Mm. for a cook, my baby. Now, you got some money. What's happening? (laughs) Yeah. How you afford that Fenty? How you got that cash? (laughs) Although, to to add to like who the, the bad guys ultimately are revealed to be. I loved, we were talking about this, so, because you had already intimated who the, I'm not spoiling any, we're past no, spoilers, yeah, we're past 30, yeah. 30, 30 some years she old. She told him to pause and watch the That's show. That's right, she did, she gave him just instructions. The idea, it's such a beautiful small reveal, and again with the allegiances of the final scene, and it has that very Agatha Christie, like, I've brought you all back into the drawing room. Yes. <laughs> the murderer, yes. the murderer yes. is amongst us, and yes. she sort of recreates, like, it was this, and then, you did this and I thought to myself was that and so it it's following a very like beloved trope with that and when it does the amazing like like reveal that it's actually the like smaller mousier deputy warden and you're like oh of course it would be like and they've said even that like you've already got like the back they barely need to remind you that this warden is newer and trying things out and so oh this woman must have been passed over for that position like it's built up in all these incredible ways and just the small it was a great reveal I've got the suicide note because she was weak yes the other thing that I thought was interesting is, I mean, it's not really that interesting, but there's there's literally no men speak not a single male in the entire yeah. episode, which... Even the woman on the phone, the governor, is a, exactly. a, a woman. That's the part that where I said, okay, if the lieutenant governor is a woman... How many more women are we just going to be committed to this entire scenario without having to hear a fucking dude? I loved it. Even the delivery lady, the grocery oh, yeah. lady was yes. a de- the woman with the tr- drive the d- truck driver with the groceries yes. too. Yes. Like, the no, and actually this was specific. This was like yeah. was Les Moonves at CBS when this happened because <laughs> no. he must have been like a junior yep. producer. You, you guys know Angela Lansbury hated yeah. Les Moonves. Yes, right? of course whole, she did. There's like, absolutely no way she's an icon and he is shit. Like like hate like she brought so her show was on for so long and I think even in like the ninth and fucking season. And he hated it because he was like, well, I don't want to fuck her. Exactly. And even in the ninth season, she was beating out fucking Steven Spielberg um, in, in ratings, like any of his shows. Mm-hmm. It was just, people were like, who's going to watch this? And then like, she destroyed, yeah. she ripped these men apart. She yeah. ripped everyone apart. Yeah. And people were like, people like old women. Mm-hmm. How about that? Sorry, mm-hmm. my dude. And yeah, and I also, uh, going back, like I loved that not only was it that normal trope of, An- of, of, of Jessica Fletcher leading people from room to room, it felt like there was a reason where she's like, no, like there's a reason we have to stay in here and I have to do it in this way because I'm trying to convince you to not fucking leave so we don't all die. Like it felt like it was story driven and plot driven rather than trope driven where it's like, well, this is how we usually end a Murder, She Wrote episode. It was like, again, they found a way to be like, well, yeah, 
this is how we end it. We do the clue ending where you go from room to room to room. But how do we do it where it's like it makes sense plot wise? Yeah. Right. And then she has to I like that she has to actually convince them all. You know, she yeah. can't just prevent present the evidence. She has to convince them that she's on their side and that she's on the side of truth, no matter what it yeah, is. Because they're like, yeah, we heard you. You're trying to run a game on us. Yeah. They're <laughs> all of those. Can we talk about convict dialogue for a second? I love convict dialogue. <laughs> Where were the first? Wait, what was this movie we, we, we watched for the pilot? of Switchblade Sisters. Was it Switchblade Sisters? Yeah, it was Switchblade Sisters. I mean, again, that was like two years ago. I've had like an immense amount of life changes since then and I still think about, yeah, because we're going to go down to school and like, like, (laughs) that's the kind of dialogue I need and I don't feel like I have enough of it in in 2019. I love it because none of us have ever been arrested and so you have moments where someone would be like, yeah, uh, well, (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay. That's where I'll stop you. So My rap sheet is longer than this room square footage. So Danielle and I have never been arrested. It's more than arrest. Okay. I, was, I was a teen. I was on a military base. I, my record's locked up. It does not count. It, it, I, it's recent and I can't go to Japan until next year. Anyway. <laughs> God damn. But you definitely didn't. None of you were like, you just gassing me, man. Uh, no, but I wish instead I was just like, fuck you. I hate this. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Do you guys want to know the only reason why I haven't been arrested? getting Why? back to the idea of corruption yeah. because when I lived in Seattle for so many years and I lived in the Capitol Hill neighborhood guess where my bio father was a cop oh my god <laughs> and so every time I would get in trouble they would be like fucking can you I have to tell your dad about this I'd be like fuck my dad pew 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 and they'd be like do you need a ride home and I'm like pew 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 and then they like just load me into the thing and then the next Aww. day is like the one time a year my dad would be like calling me and be like could you fucking not be a piece of shit no when you when you do I'm imagining you like I don't know why but I was just like ah it would be so cool she's got like a rum and coke in one hand and she's eating like shrimp in the other you know okay so to be clear it was a PBR in one hand and a Dick's burger in the other well (laughs) so you were very close a fancier version I guess no yeah you think more of me than I have ever thought of myself and I appreciate (laughs) you Um, I I love the line who'd vote for a lady who had fainting spells on the job Uh, because straight up, that is the whole line of Hillary Clinton. Literally, was like a bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was so uh, unfortunate. So unfortunate because I was literally going, and my the entire time they were talking about it, I was like, "That's nothing, right?" And, and no one would ever actually care, care about, about a woman fainting who fainted. on the job. Is she fainting in the middle of an arrest? Is she fainting yeah. in the mm. middle of a? Uh, what would make her a bad at this point that would even make her a bad senator if we're yeah. talking about 2019 Truthfully. that'd be the least of her issues yes. as a senator yeah, I would vote for I her I would vote for her even the fact that she was like running this corrupt prison and like no one ah QAnon would have a feel no day. if she was a narcolept I'd still vote for her at this point did That's you would be fine did you guys get a, was the takeaway at the end that she was gonna drop out of her senatorial quest and like concentrate yep. on the yep. prison. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I did have a small, huh, about that. A small Talk little. Talk about it. Because yeah. I I love that you know she's revealed to be a good guy. That she sure. actually is interested in some kind of reform. She sure. wants to do well by the mm. prisoners. She was trying to do her job well, and that she's spending this time. She's an ambitious woman, and that the lesson that she has learned is instead of oh. Well, this my my resources and care were needed here, and so I really should broaden that and help yeah. a larger mm. population. Instead, it's sort of like, oh, I can only do so much, so I'm just gonna. I don't know. I was that was the one problem that I had with the story of it. I'm well, only yeah, one woman, one tired, fainting woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I wish that she would have been able to be like, oh, good, I'm so relieved that my the, the gains that I've made here can prove what a great senator I would be. I'm not going to lie, but I needed the credits to roll to know she didn't kill that lady. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you really expect me to leave Dr. Patterson and leaned over and killed herself over diluting some medication? I don't know. I don't know. I just needed those I, credits yeah. to roll. I just really, really was not trying to believe that this this lady was really gonna take 
take that L. I and, just thought that she was going to be like, well, she, the warden was like, I want to be senator and these bitches are holding me back. I know, and I totally felt the same way. The only thing was when they made that point to be like, yeah, if you were in on this, you ain't going, like, this isn't like I can survive on any MLK Boulevard. No, you can't survive in any prison if you did that shit. Yeah. Like, she was going to go to another prison and she was going to get beat up every day. Every day, all day. I didn't know wardens walked around so freely like that. I thought, you know, the warden, sh- like in every other movie I've seen, especially in male prisons, the warden is coming through and y'all got to get in your cell. Mm-hmm. Except for natural born killers. But the but the news was there. But like, that didn't mean anything at the end. Spoiler. <laughs> the, the thing about it is that like, I just feel like the one thing I will say, speaking of which, is that they were all dressed so nice to be working in a prison. Mm. They were wearing pantsuits, and this warden had really nice nails, as did the deputy warden. I just... Something about... Aren't they allowed a rich inner life? Can't they look <laughs> Can't they look good as women and still succeed in well, business? Well, I thought that was nice. I thought it was yeah. nice, but I was also expecting, you know, Mary Warrenoff. I mean, like, the one thing I love about her career is that Chopping Mall is the first time I saw her, like, quote unquote femmed up but like beyond that she was always like badass coming in like Like death race yeah Mm -hmm. like death race like class of 19 what was it uh, rock and roll high school Mm -hmm. so she just like you know she was always like you know power bitch in these roles and everyone else was sort of playing to type in that sense Mm. but you know everybody I feel like everybody all the secondary characters were basically playing to type minus Eve Plum who was really trying to Avoid the curse yeah, of the Yeah, well, and I, I, to be fair, I do think the deputy warrant, like, she, deputy looked good because deputy was still not that money. Yes, true. That's why she looked mm. good. And I feel like the warrant probably does make at least press on nail money. Oh, I yeah. I can afford press on nail sometimes. Are you kidding? Of I course like she makes 250 money. 250 grand at least. Yeah. yeah. Or scaled s- down to whatever that was in the 80s. Yeah. That's that a, was $8 oh, no. in the 80s. Oh, no. 250 probably in the 80s. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, I feel like I should be wrapping up this bonus episode, though. So I'm wondering, are there any final thoughts that you guys had to add before we uh, leave people? I I swear, Casey, our producer, said, you guys don't have to go for a full hour. And the thing is that... <laughs> that we easily went over. E- easily. <laughs> this is a great fucking episode. Okay, so any final thoughts? CBS television, CBS network was great in the 80s. Yeah. I don't know. I blame everything for it. It's Les Moonves. It's Les Moonves. It's absolutely it's him. Absolutely. He it's, fired the Cagney mm. and Lacey ladies, didn't let mm. them back. He fired everyone. He he was uh, not interested in any of that shit. Les Bazinga Moonves. <laughs> it's really insane. It's really insane. Now it explains the two and a half men shit. It completely explains it. Yep. I don't think anything truly explains that. <laughs> People were still watching it as well. There's mm. a lot of other blame to go for that. I think one thing... I would just say it was a delight to rewatch this. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen, I'm no April Wolf. I haven't seen Murder, <laughs> She Wrote for many a year. And I was like, oh, this was great. And like I said, it was, when I watched this, obviously I had no idea who these um, supporting actors were. Mm-hmm. And so knowing it now with a larger bre- you know, frame of reference, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to get back into all of these. Yeah, so I great. would encourage... And this episode is a, a great re-entry point. Yeah, and uh, for me, uh, uh, the prison system sucks and has always sucked, and let's uh, abolish private prisons. Okay, bye. I'll that's vote a, for that, That's too. a perfect takeaway. Uh, <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate all of your support of Maximum Fun and Switchblade Sisters. And if you haven't heard Switchblade Sisters yet, please go and check it out. And we would love for you to check out Tights and Fights and Pop Rocket and Who Shot Ya Too. Um, I hope you guys have a great Max Fun Drive. And thanks so much for listening. Shut up, Pat. That's not what we're doing this for. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.